Uh, we're in the book of Genesis. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11 and just kind of hang there for just a minute. Um, as I was preparing this week, I, I was thinking about uh, just the battle of two kingdoms. We're going to see that today in the passage, but let me define it for you uh, in a very personal way. Um, the kingdom of me versus the kingdom of God. And so maybe, maybe you're familiar with that. Maybe that rings true to you. Maybe you would say, I don't know quite what you're talking about. So let me, let me just paint some, uh, some broad strokes this morning. Uh, been in ministry my entire career. I was a traveling music guy for the first decade uh, of my career. So a traveling minstrel, if you will, uh, going around the countryside, singing my little songs. Um, when they did We Fall Down, I'm like, dude, circa, you know, 1998. I led that song. And so, uh, so I traveled for a lot of years and then I transitioned out of itinerant ministry onto staff at Woods Edge Community Church in the Woodlands. We moved uh, to the Woodlands from Dallas in 1997. And uh, it was a church of about 150. We met in uh, Lone Star College. Uh, it used to be called Montgomery College. Now it's Lone Star Montgomery Campus which is in the Woodlands. I don't know why they call it Montgomery Campus. But uh, uh, so we met there for about six years. So we had to set up and tear down every week. Parenthetically, when we started restoration in 2014, it was like Groundhog Day, starting all over, setting up and tearing down every week. Uh, but uh, man, I learned how uh, to be a pastor while I was there, uh, led worship every week and uh, watched uh, the church grow and flourish and creativity flourish. And, and uh, man, I was all about it. I was growing a lot. But here's what I, as I was thinking about my time, I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. A lot of great things happened while I was there. But I know at some point there was a shift in me that moved from building the kingdom of God to building the kingdom of Greg. And uh, uh, I was uh, pretty good at what I did. And uh, I was kind of the golden boy um, right up until the day they fired me. And uh, I, I, so, you know, I would lead worship. I was a really good public prayer. And so, you know, I'd, I'd, I, could, I could, you know, just put it all together. People would say, oh, when you prayed, that was beautiful. Well, most of the time, unfortunately, um, I was praying to a God that I was very, very not connected with. And uh, in about 2005, I felt, felt kind of this shift in ministry, and we created this a worship leader training program called the David Project. And over the next five years, we were training and developing 12 to 14 worship leaders a year and, and, and putting them up in front of people and watching them develop. And it was so much fun. And Sam and Samantha McCabe do a remarkable job of that, uh, training and developing our worship leaders as you see different people uh, every week leading. And so, man, I was loving that. Here was the problem. Man, I would roll people out there and, and uh, people would lead and uh, people would come to me and say, oh, that was so great. And I would always find a way to turn it back around to me. I would always find a way to take credit for other people's successes because I needed validation so badly. And so uh, this, this whole system of thought was, man, I'm building it and I look like a Christian on the outside. I look like I'm killing it on the outside. I'm a professional Christian doing professional Christian things. But on the inside, I was really, really building my own kingdom. And of course, uh, I've been very public about the fact that it all came crashing down. It was ugly. End of 2010, uh, lost my job, nearly lost my marriage. And so as I was uh, thinking about that season of my life, um, I see the Proverbs 16, 18 principle very clear. 
on full display. Pride goes before what? Destruction. A haughty spirit before the fall. So pride precedes a fall. And I think about so many times, I mean, I, I would just think my way is better than thy way, right? Hey, God, you're awesome. Thanks for putting me here. I'll take it from here. And I will tap in if I need you. So as we move to chapter 11 today uh, in the Tower of Babel, uh, what we're gonna see is that pride precedes a fall. Pride precedes a fall. And over the summer, uh, we've seen the power of sin and how it affected mankind and spread like wildfire. Think about it in uh, Genesis chapter three, Adam, the sin enters through a man, through a person, and what happens? Kicked out of the garden. Chapter four, it spreads from a man to a family. Cain kills Abel, and what happens? He is uh, really now wandering the earth. Then there's a genealogy in chapter five and we see it and it moves all the way to chapter six when uh, Noah comes and we see at that point that sin has infected society as a whole. The flood comes and then in Genesis chapter 10, we see now the genealogy picks up again. And we're gonna see in chapter 11 today, uh, sin is organizing itself. It's grown from a person to a family to society and now this seed of sin, remember God preserved the seed of mankind through Noah and his family, but what also survived was the seed of sin and now it's just feeding on itself. And so uh, uh, I want you to hang with me for just a second because this may get confusing, so just pay attention for like 90 seconds as I walk through something to get you to where we wanna go, okay? Y'all with me? Yeah, okay, all right, good. Both of you, that's great. Okay, so Genesis 9-1, they get out of the ark. What happens? God blessed Noah and his son and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The same edict that he told Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter one. Remember we said a couple weeks ago, this is kind of a recreation story. And so he tells them to fill the earth. That is the edict. In Genesis 9-19, it says uh, there were, the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered all over the whole earth. So from Noah, from those who survived the flood, he and his family, now they are the people who would grow nations and they would be scattered all over the earth. In Genesis chapter 10, then we see this genealogy again, and we see it's called the table of nations, nations and cultures and languages. And, and what we see is human flourishing, right? Humanity now is flourishing. There is such beauty and diversity. I mean, think about Houston versus Austin versus Dallas. Three completely different cultures, right? Have y'all been to all three of those places? They couldn't be more different. I grew up in Dallas and then I got here to Houston and, and that was God's country for me until I got here. I'm like, oh, I really like these people. And then I realized Dallas, they're pretty pretentious. You know, sorry. Um, I think you go to Austin and so anyway, uh, you, so you think about that, man. There, there is culture everywhere you go, right? Yes. You travel overseas to a different nation and there's a culture that is built and there's beauty in diversity. There's beauty in culture. There's beauty in language. Then you see in Genesis 10.5, it says from these 
maritime peoples spread out into their territories, by their clans, within their nations, each with its own language. You get to the end of the chapter in verses 31 and 32. This leads us into our passage today. These are the sons of Shem by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. These are the clans of Noah's son, according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these, the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. So what do we know? We know in chapters 9 and 10, there is this picture of a spreading out and filling the earth. Nations are formed. Languages are formed. It was God's way. He told them to fill the earth. Human flourishing is happen, happening. Creativity is at this all-time high. And then we hit Genesis 11.1. 1. Look at Genesis 11.1. 1. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. What? I mean, think about that. We just spent two chapters watching God spread people across the earth. They're filling the earth. They're, they're fruitful. They're multiplying. Humans are flourishing. Creativity is flourishing. And then we hit here in 11.1, and it says, well, wait, there's one language, one common speech. So what's happening here? So... We saw this in chapter one. If you remember in chapter one, we walked through the creation account and then we hit chapter two and there's another creation account in chapter two that didn't really match the timeline of chapter one. And so do y'all remember that? It was a little bit confusing. It's like, so wait, what's going on? The timelines don't add up. And what we decided was chapter one's about the who of creation. It's about creator God who created everything for human flourishing. And then at the end of chapter one, he created man. And remember all the other uh, creation narratives said it was good, but when he created man, he said, it's what? Very good. So good. So much good. But then we hit chapter two, and it really tells the how. It tells the how God developed relationship with man. And so um, this is another example that this book is not necessarily written sequentially. So we see in chapter 10 this table of nations and all of this happening, and it's almost as if Moses pauses and says, by the way, if you're wondering how the nations and languages came to be, let me tell you a story. And so there's this pause in these nine verses in chapter 11, followed by picking back up in verses 10 through 32 of chapter 11, the rest of this genealogy leading to Abraham. So that's interesting, right? So that means that he pauses for a reason. He fills us in for a reason. And so we need to lean forward this morning to figure out, okay, so what is it about the Tower of Babel that was so important that we need to get it today? Because remember, this is not a story that happened. We're gonna see today, it's a story that happens and it's a cycle that happens over and over and over again. Maybe you can relate. But as we see the how, how nations and languages were exported to the ends of the earth, what we see is God finishes what he starts. God finishes what he starts. Say it with me. God finishes what he starts. Say it again. God finishes what he starts. If you're sitting next to a person that has a lot of incomplete projects at home, 
men. Uh, Ladies, don't look at them, but just know this. Your man may not finish what he starts all the time. God finishes what he starts. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work will carry it on until what? Completion. That's who God is. God's goal was to spread people to the ends of the earth. And he will finish what he starts. James 1, 2 through 4, one of my favorite passages. Consider it joy, brothers and sisters. When you encounter trials of various kinds, for the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance must have its perfect work that you may be what? Mature and complete. Say it out loud. Complete, lacking in nothing. God's goal is always completion. And so what we'll see today is that God is going to work around man's disobedience. That's good news because you're a disobedient bunch. Oh, so am I, by the way. I mean, we all, that is our proclivity to be disobedient, man. We're at war. The flesh is at war with the spirit. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, just know for the rest of your life, the flesh is at war with the spirit. And and every day when you give yourself over to the spirit of God in the secret place, you are moving into intimacy with him. But isn't it true that all of us are one or two bad decisions away from being in a really dark place? Why? Because we're a disobedient bunch. And then you look at uh, the Apostle Paul, Romans 7, super Christian, right? I mean, we look at him and go, man, that, that dude had it going on. Romans 7, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. What is wrong with me? I'm so jacked up, right? That's my interpretation. Uh, but, but he had the same problem. But then he says, thanks be to God who gives me the victory through Jesus Christ. So you can create your own plan, you can seek to build your own kingdom, but God will ultimately fulfill his purposes with or without you. God wants you, but he doesn't need you. And we see that clearly today in this passage. Look at verse two. So as they moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. So we see first that the people moved Eastward. This is important. It's an important note because when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, which way did they move? East. They settled in the land of Nod. So east is away from the garden, away from God's perfect design in Genesis 1 and 2. In chapter 4, when Cain killed Abel and God comes to him and challenges him, what does he do? He settles east of Eden in the land of Nod. And now we see as they are organizing, sin is now organizing itself. And where is it organizing itself? Eastward. Here's the point. Our sin always moves us to settle away from God. Always. So those of you that are involved in in habitual sin, unconfessed sin, you think you've got it on lockdown and your ends justify your means. You're like, well, I know it's really bad, but the end is good. And that's the only only thing that matters, right? Well, not in God's eyes. God is not an ends justifies the means God. All sin has consequence. And what happens is when we convince ourselves that our sin is in the name of something good, when we convince ourselves that we can can live outside the ultimate purpose of God, you know what we're doing? We're moving eastward. 
We're settling away from God. And we see it throughout the first 11 chapters of Genesis, which many scholars see as this prologue for the rest of Genesis and really for the rest of the Bible. People, our proclivity. Know this, you don't drift toward holiness. Some of you are like, well, you don't know me. I don't have to. We're people. You don't drift toward holiness. You drift toward compromise. You drift toward self-protection. You drift toward kingdom building, your own kingdom. So back in Genesis 8 through 10, Genesis 10, 8 through 10, we're introduced to this guy, uh, Noah's great-grandson, his name is Nimrod. That's a pretty cool name. Uh, so Cush was the father of Nimrod who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, I've said this all the time, Nimrod is a mighty hunter before the Lord. I'm gonna rename Dave Shannon Nimrod. In fact, when you go out today, please call him Nimrod, okay? And now look at this, verse 10. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon. I wanna pause there. So Nimrod, mighty hunter, mighty warrior before the Lord, something happened, a shift happened, and what did he begin to do? Build his own kingdom. And the first in the center of his kingdom was Babylon. So what do we know about Babylon? Throughout the Bible, it's synonymous to opposition of the rule of God. Worldly power versus godly power. In short, Babylon is the false god, the enemy of God. If you remember in 586 BC, so, so lots of time later, what happens? Israel falls to Babylon. They go into captivity, into exile, and for 70 years, they are held captive to the Babylonians. So they are definitely the enemy of God. And we, we can go through all of these. You can just write these down. I'm not going to read them right now, but Isaiah 13, 19 through 22, Jeremiah 51, 52 through 58, two great passages that talk about Babylon being the enemy of God and that God is going to destroy Babylon. Why? Because no kingdom that sets itself against the purposes of God stands. In fact, if you were with us during Revelation, we saw at the end of the Bible in Revelation 17, we see Babylon, which no longer exists as a city, is a metaphor for the enemy of God. Look at uh, Revelation 17, verse 5 and 6. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the great, the mother of prostitutes, and the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore the testimony to Jesus, and when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. So remember John, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John has this vision in Revelation 17, and it is revealed that Babylon is actually the system that sets itself up against the purposes of God. And it, it's a cycle, and we've seen it over and over and over. Every great nation rises up. It is the system of Babylon. And here's what Babylon does. It overpromises and underdelivers. Know this, our culture today over-promises and under-delivers. Yes, Think about marriage would be just one example. What, what the culture says today is marriage is for your happiness. 
So how many of you, as a show of hands, in your marriage are always happy? Yeah, don't raise your hand. It's not true. Sorry, I hate to break it to you. But you know, marriage is hard. Marriage is not for your happiness. You don't get to check out because things aren't going your way. Marriage is for your holiness. And that will be a great example of a cultural standard that we accept as fact inside and outside the church. And we say the end justify the means. I'm not happy anymore. Bless your heart. And know this, if you, if you are on a second marriage, if you're on a third marriage, man, I'm not judging you. Some of you have, have, have lived at the hand of some really hard things in your marriage, and so I don't want to judge you. What I'm saying is the cultural standard for marriage is not happiness. The cultural standard for marriage is holiness. Two people in close proximity, the friction is real, y'all. Well, you know what I mean. So, <laughs> look at Revelation 18. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Here's the thing. What we see is that the world is attracted to Babylon because it overpromises. But guess what? When Babylon falls, they all scatter. They want nothing to do with her. Why? Because Babylon is only as good as long as you're getting your way. And know that Babylon exists today. It is a system that exists today. And over and over, we get the choice. Are we going to give ourselves to the worldly power or to the godly power? So right here, Genesis 11, we see the beginnings of nations settling away from God and pursuing the system of Babylon. Verse 3, they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bathe them thoroughly they use bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. So if you remember, the original hearers of this had come out of 740 years of slavery at the hands of the Egyptians. Was it 700? I think it was 470 years. Uh, yeah, it's one of those two. Um, and so they're coming out uh, of slavery, and now they're living in the desert. And imagine when they read this, they're like, oh, I get that. Why? Because they were brick makers. If you look at the book of Exodus, right at the beginning, the story opens, Israel's in captivity to the Egyptians, and they're just making bricks. They're like, oh, I get that. Oh, good. This is where I check into the story. I'm a brick maker. They're brick makers. Now I know where brick making came from. It's who I am. Well, guess what? If your identity isn't what you build, if your identity is only as good as the next brick you make, that is not the way of Jesus. That's the way of you. It's the way of me. And we love to be defined by the bricks we make. So here, he said, come, let us make bricks. And then four things in verse four. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city. That's one. With a tower that reaches to the heavens. It's two. So that we may make a name for ourselves. That's three. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face 
of the whole earth. That's four. So one and four are related, two and three are related. But look, build ourselves a city, build a tower that reaches the heaven, make a name for ourselves, protect us from being scattered. So now they are building a city for themselves so they don't get scattered. What is that? Fear. So know this. Anytime you are operating out of fear and you are making decisions out of fear, fear fear-based decisions always go south. Think about how irrational you can be when you're operating out of fear. You get in a financial pitch and, and, and you'll just do crazy things to try to get out of the financial bind, right? You'll, you'll borrow money at 30% just to, just to save yourself in the short term, to save ourselves for short-term pain. We look at the world and what the world offers and we want a quick fix. And so we're afraid of what might happen if, and we set up all of these win-lose propositions and it's all in the name of fear. It's a horrible motivator. And man, in the 20th century, we grabbed onto that in the church and we went knocking on doors. Hey, if you die tonight, do you know where you spend eternity? No? You want to go to hell? Like raise your hand if you want to go to hell. Anybody? I mean, I feel like we've been living there since June, but, uh, but, but, but the bottom line is, man, nobody's going to say yes to that. And so what do we do? We, we make it a fear-based proposition. And know this, while hell is a real place and those who don't choose Jesus in a relationship with him end up there, it's not the point of the gospel, actually. The point of the gospel is that Jesus came to set you free. And that you get to choose. You can choose eternity, which starts today. You can live in the kingdom of God and spend eternity in heaven one day. That's pretty good news, right? I think it's called the good news for a reason. And yet our fear-based decisions always lead south. They They never last. And God told mankind to fill the earth, but mankind wanted to organize around themselves. While human flourishing was supposed to be taking place in nations and languages, now we see their idea was, ah, no, I think it'd be better and safer if we just stuck together. Think of how great it would be if we just kept one world language. Think of how great it would be if we just had kind of this world order where we all work together for the common good. It's a picture of comfort, pictured of, uh, of security, a picture of the familiar So at Restoration, we talk about the difference between a cruise ship and an aircraft carrier. There's something beautiful about a cruise ship. You know, you can eat at any time of the day. I mean, that's just awesome. Self-serve ice cream at 2 a.m., it's awesome. But you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, right? There's always something going on. It, it, It fits your needs, right? You can get really comfortable on a cruise ship. All of your cares go away. Your cell phone doesn't work anyway. So you just kind of hang out in the middle of the ocean and enjoy life. And so, so often the church becomes a cruise ship, right? For my needs. Some of you moved around on me this morning. You're sitting in a different seat. It screws me up. (laughs) Perkins, don't do that, right? They usually sit right over here. But, But you think about it, for a lot of us, man, if you grew up in the church I grew up in, 
People had their names on the seats. I had a woman one time, I'm sitting there, and she walks and she goes, I'm so sorry, I'm in your seat. You're in my seat. And I'm like, wait, what? Is this not open seat? Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, she flat ran me off. But for all of us, man, we, we love what we love, right? Last week, we, we launched this, you know, this plan for movement, and I saw a lot of you bristling. It's okay. We're just trying to get by. Some of you have sworn to me, you will not sit in the lobby, right? Okay, cool, good, good for you. But, but again, I mean, are, are, are we going to live as a church, as a cruise ship, or as an aircraft carrier? Because on an aircraft carrier, you're never comfortable because you're always being trained, and at a moment's notice, you're activated into mission. So you never get too comfortable, right? You're being trained up to be sent out. And so the question always becomes, and we've got to ask ourselves the question, what kingdom am I about? Am I about my kingdom or about the kingdom of God? And so they built a city to protect themselves. They also wanted to build a tower that reached the heaven. Why? To make a name for themselves. They're like, hey, let's build a tower up to the heavens so that everyone will see our power and our glory in ancient culture, they would build towers to uh, assert dominance, monuments to their power. Rulers of the day often saw themselves as gods. And so there would be a perch up on the tower where they could go and survey all that they had conquered. Has that changed today? No, we're still building monuments. We're still building big towers and the people at the top of the food chain are still officing in the penthouse looking over everything they survey. It's the system of Babylon that's alive and well. So what was their sin? What was their sin? Their sin was worldly power and glory over God's power and glory. God said fill the earth, but they decided to opt out out of fear, and to band together and live in opposition to God. And what we see is Babylon was born. Babylon was born. Look at verse five. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord came down. Say it with me. The Lord came down. Say it again. The Lord came down. Hey, listen, if you want to share the gospel today, um, these four words, it's really all you need to say. The Lord came down. Say it with me. The Lord came down. This is the essence of the gospel. It's the theme of the Bible. When Adam and Eve sinned, it said that the Lord came down to them and walked in the cool of the day. When Cain killed Abel, the Lord came down to him and had a conversation with him. And when mankind was attempting to regroup in rebellion after the flood, the Lord came down. When mankind could not break the curse of sin and it was passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation, we move to the gospel of John. And what does it say in, in John 1, 14? The word became what? Flesh and made his dwelling where? Among us. The Lord came down. 
So if you want to look for Jesus, he's on every page of the Bible and we see it right here, this beautiful picture of the gospel. When they were trying to ascend, when they were trying to make a way up to the heavens, when they were trying to become their own gods, it said, the Lord came down. You know, every other world religion will tell you that you're better off as a brick maker you build a tower, and if your tower is tall enough, if your tower is good enough, if your tower is broad enough, that you will get some reward on the other side of death. Only, only Christianity says you can never build a tower high enough. And so guess what? The Lord came down. As you were trying to ascend, he descended. Maybe this morning that reads your mail because maybe you are fighting with all you've got to claw your way to what you believe is the top. Today he just says, hey, stop trying so hard. You can't get there in the first place. I've already taken care of it through the power of the body and blood of Jesus. God came down and he offers you life. Verse six, the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, if they, if they continue down this path, they're gonna self-destruct again. When he says nothing will be impossible for them, it actually means that no destructive decision will be impossible for them. No check no balance, just sin organizing on itself and it will get out of control just like it was out of control in Genesis chapter six. Self-destructive. And so what does he say? Verse seven. It says, come let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. So God had a plan. God said, fill the earth. They said, no, we're gonna gather together. He's like, okay. So he uh, created this language barrier and now they couldn't speak to each other and now they were dispersed and scattered. In Hebrew, the word Babel means confusion. What a picture of sin. Maybe that's where you are today. You're confused. Because sin is the great confuser. It convinces you that your way is better. Do you realize that sin, very simply put, is, is this independent spirit from God? Just straight up rebellion? And sin confuses us because, you know what? It feels good for a season. Sin's always fun for a season, but it's end always leads us to the same place, destruction. The system of Babylon always leads us to the same place, directly to the crash site. Amen. It just doesn't work. So the, he created this language barrier, and then verse nine, the last verse we'll look at today. That is what was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. 
The Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. You know what that is? Mission accomplished. Right? I mean, think about that. In 9-1, he says, hey, fill the earth. And in 11-1, it says, ah, no, we're just going to gather together. We like the commonality of one land. We like to control our own destiny. And by verse 9, guess what? They're filling the earth. And what does that say? Again, God completes what he starts. The earth is filled. And then starting in verse 10 through verses 32, the genealogy picks up. Again, it's just really fascinating that we see this genealogy all through chapter 10. He pauses for these nine verses to go, by the way, this is how this got where it is. Now let's pick up where we left off because he wanted us to get this point. God works outside of our obedience every day to accomplish his purpose. So if human flourishing meant nations and culture and language, God's going to get it done because that was his plan. It wasn't their plan, but it was his plan. And know this, God will work outside of your obedience all day long to accomplish his plans and purposes. Know this, he wants you. He wants to partner with you. When we think about our Ephesians 2.10 calling, he has a plan for you, but the plan for you is how you fit into his kingdom, not how he fits into yours. And he will accomplish his purpose for his glory with or without you. He, He would rather you jump on board. But the choice, it's up to you. He's gonna accomplish what he accomplishes. So as we close, let me... There, there are three things that I want us to think about. And so the question is, how does uh, this division of languages and nations serve God's greater plan? Remember that Genesis 1 and 2 is this picture of the garden, this picture of God's perfect design for man. And remember, I told you that when you get into Genesis 3 and you move forward, sin has infected everything. And so the cross sits between Genesis 3 and Genesis 2. And in order to see God's perfect design, Jesus is right there. And you look through the cross back to God's perfect design. And we see this beautiful picture of human flourishing, creativity. God uses all things for his glory his purposes. Here are three things I want you to think about as we close today. Uh, Number one, every nation that sets itself against the purposes of God will ultimately be destroyed. Every nation or person that sets itself against the purposes of God will ultimately be destroyed. So what does that say? Sin never wins in the long run. It never wins in the long run. And know this, you and I, we play the short game. I literally play the short game, but, but, uh, but, but think about your life. Man, you want what you want when you want it. Instant gratification, let's get it done. God's always playing the long game. And know this, you will never live outside of the purpose and plan of God and it work out in your favor. Again, I played that game for a while had a lot of what I thought were really great accomplishments. And guess where it led me? It led me uh, jobless and in a broken marriage. And for you, whatever you're chasing, whatever you're pursuing, if you are building your own kingdom, just know it will not stand. 
You're like, well, you don't know me. I don't have to. You may be the greatest engineer or architect in the world, but here's what I know for sure. Your plan will never work above the plan of God for your life. And I love the pleasure of sins temporary, but it leads to destruction. In Babylon, the false kingdom, we see in Revelation 11:15. I love this verse. Check this out. Since the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever and ever. So know this, whatever your kingdom is, whatever you think you're building, it's all under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and you, can, you can try to build, but just know his kingdom will win. Read the end of the book. It's fascinating. But again, it goes back to where we started. Pride goes right before the fall. Number two, nations and languages actually serve as protection of man from himself. So here's, here's this is fascinating. Think about nations today. Think about, you know, the conflict that's going on between China and Taiwan and the U.S. kind of shows up and, and there's some saber rattling and, and what happened? Well, nothing happened because nobody wants another world war. Russia is imposing its force on the Ukraine, but then there are a group of nations that are imposing sanctions, and so they haven't been able to completely uh, close the loop. Why? Because there are nations rising against nations. And so God takes man's pride, and he says, hey, you know what? I'm going to use you to, to kind of keep the peace in a way. How cool is that of God to say, your sin I will use for my glory. And I'll put nations in check so that there's not one world nation because one world nation will be a disaster. He said, I created nations, languages, and culture for human flourishing. And God uses our sin, actually, to keep Babylon in check. Finally, number three, when our sin and brick making causes us to try to build our way to the Lord, the Lord came down. The Lord came down. You and all of your striving, you and all of your brick making, when you were trying to ascend, the Lord came down. It's a beautiful picture of the cross. Jesus the word that became flesh and made his dwelling among us, the crucifixion, the body and blood of Jesus broken and shed for you and for me, the resurrection. But Acts chapter two, in Acts chapter two, it's the redemption of what he did. In Genesis chapter 11, do you remember the story? The day of Pentecost, there's this mighty rushing wind and, and it says that, that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus has ascended and he comes back in the form of the Holy Spirit. It said these tongues of fire rested on them and they went out into the city and we'll pick it up in Acts 2, 5. It says, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these all, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? What? Parthians, Medes, 
Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring what? The wonders of God in our own tongues. So he scattered, he confused their language and scattered them in Genesis 11. And now through the power of the Holy Spirit, he is redeeming and drawing all those who will receive Jesus back into the family. How cool is that? That we see the reversal of Babel right here in Acts chapter 2. And that people are hearing another language and go, wait, you're speaking my language. And they're like, really, I am? I had no idea. And then Peter... Peter, remember Peter? Peter cutting off ears. Peter is is the the disciple that Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. That Peter, he's filled with the spirit and this uneducated, unschooled dude goes into the city and preaches and 3,000 people come into the kingdom just like that. Because now he's speaking a language that everybody can understand. Coward to courageous. think about my own life and I am so incredibly grateful that while God sent me through a desert a self-imposed desert that in 2013 God came down he says Greg for you for you. I'm not about you, but I'm for you. And I'm inviting you to lead a church. And I feel so much like Peter so many days. Unschooled. <laughs> Diligent. I feel all of those things so often. I'm impulsive. And here's the thing that I know, that when I sit in the secret place every day, the Holy Spirit just burns so deeply. It encourages me, Greg, don't make bricks. Don't make bricks. Just follow me. Just follow me. How about you? Again, the ends never justify the means. But God will get glory for your life one way or another, either through through joy or through tragedy. 